The Lord be with you. Grace and peace to us. In the name of Christ our Lord, because we gather because Christ is with us still. The Christmas message continues beyond Christmas Day. It is a great joy to be with you. Welcome here to First Church to begin this day and week in worship. Just a reminder, you'll find some registration pads because it helps us to know that you share in worship at First Church this morning. And thank you, Beth, for accompanying and leading, providing music in this time of worship. As we gather, uh, just be mindful of the office hours as they are before us. They are slightly different because of the holidays, but thank you for your attention to those uh, hours and also to the various ministries that are before us. And we have some exciting upcoming ministries uh, throughout the month of January. As we share this morning, we share a word from Hebrews, not the most familiar of scriptures to us, but a very pertinent and relevant word for us as we continue to live in the light of the birth of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 will speak to us in regard to that good news as we worship this morning. And I'll invite us at this time to prepare to worship God together. Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand as we share in this call. Let us sing. Who dared to take on human flesh and dwell among us. Who did not turn back in the face of evil and to death. Who continues to dance through our lives even now. Our 
I'll invite you to be seated. We notice that, again, this is the fifth Sunday of the month, and as is our custom, we share in a Christmas, or, or actually a hymn sing, but that will be appropriate to, uh, appropriate to Christmas at this time. So what we would like to do is have you request various Christmas carols. We will sing the first and last verse, and it will be of help to us if we just uh, stay within the red hymnal and, and find the selections there. So do we have a request for a Christmas carol at this time? Silent Night. Silent Night. Do we know the number? Thank you. 239. Sorry, I didn't hear. 229.
Another request. 216, 246. take a couple of more. 217, 217. Two nineteen.
220, number Thank you. Thank you, Beth. And I'll invite us to go to God with our opening prayer as it is before us. Let us pray. We could not approach you, O God, were it not for the person of Jesus, Lord and Savior, servant and friend. His perfect love and life could have widened the gap between us and you but instead he offered himself as the way to you by living out the truth of your love and by gracing our lives with the gift of his life. Accept our prayers and praise, our spoken and unspoken words of thankfulness for being able to approach you, O God, through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. May this time of worship increase our desire to live lives which honor and glorify you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And our scripture comes to us from the writing we know as Hebrews. First we pray. O Lord, as your word is proclaimed, we remember still that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We thank you for your presence beyond Christmas Day, throughout all our days, and inspire us as your word is proclaimed now. Amen. Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will praise thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I in the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, 
that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. For surely it is not with angels that he is concerned, but with the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make expiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. This is the word of our Lord. Well, this may be that Sunday on which we find ourselves envying the shepherds and the wise men, envying perhaps Joseph and Mary. You see, for us, it appears that Christmas is over in so many ways. The Christmas Eve services, the candle lighting, beloved hymns and scripture, all seem to be behind us. And all seems to be back to normal, whatever normal may be. But as for those who populate the story of the birth of Jesus as found in the Bible, what's difficult to think of life ever being the same for them. The shepherds, we are told, run from Bethlehem and tell of all they experienced there. The wise men return from whence they came, but they know they have worshipped and they have given gifts to the one who is the newborn king and Their lives can never be the same. As for Mary and Joseph, well, they're new parents, and their lives are changed more than a little by this fact alone. But to be parents of the one who is to save God's people, to be parents of the long-awaited one finally given by God, how do you describe the changes this makes in your life? You see, we may envy those who were at this first Christmas. Their lives are incredibly changed by that event. Their lives will never be the same. The angel visits, giving and receiving gifts, brilliantly shining star. From that day forward, life will never be the same for these persons. But what about you and me? We've celebrated Christmas. We have welcomed the newborn king. All of this has happened for us. But really, do our lives look all that different from the way they looked last Sunday? Do they look vastly different than they did on December 24th? Or have we simply returned to those pre-Christmas days? It's true we exerted much time and energy and money preparation for Christmas Day, but have our lives simply reverted to normal? Now, don't misunderstand. I am not suggesting in any way our our celebration of Christmas was unenjoyable. Your Christmas Day may have been the best yet. You may have enjoyed family gathering as never before. You may have eaten a meal that you will never forget. You may have received that gift you will cherish all your days, your heart may have been thrilled to be with family, with children, with grandchildren. So it may have been the most wonderful of Christmases for you. But it's past. I'm already seeing trees taken down and awaiting the garbage trucks. What now? 
Not only this, we didn't even really see Jesus in the flesh, did we? We sang hymns, we read scripture, we had the pageant, had Christmas Eve services, lighted candles, enjoyed nativity scenes. But we didn't see him, didn't touch him, didn't hear him, couldn't tell you the color of his hair, the shade of his skin, how tall he is. All this preparation, all this expectation, all this buildup, we really didn't see him. So really, how is it that our lives could be significantly changed having not encountered this one whose birth we proclaim? Does it sound irreverent to ask those things? I hope not. Does it sound inappropriate? Well, if it does, the, the good news for me and for others who ask those questions is that we're not the first to do so. We share this morning from scripture we call Hebrews. Yes, Hebrews. I know it's not the most familiar of biblical writings. It's back there in the New Testament amongst all those little books we can never find or get to turn the pages to during Sunday school. And we wonder, just, just who are these Hebrews? And the, the, this reading, this writing, if, if we read through it, we see this really isn't a letter. It's, it's more like a sermon, more like an oration. So given all of this, just what appeal could this writing we know as Hebrews have this morning? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense at this time to preach from some safe and familiar territory such as one of the Gospels? Isn't that the better route to go this morning? Why cause us to struggle with unfamiliar terrain such as Hebrews that we really never spend a lot of time with? Well, because this territory is, is really where we find ourselves this morning. This morning, you and I may find ourselves struggling as did those who first heard these words. You see, they were called to believe in Jesus. They were called to believe the Savior of all has been born. They were called to believe the long-awaited Deliverer had arrived. They were called to believe that one who freed them and healed them and made them new had been born. And they had believed it. And they had sung the songs of faith. And they had heard the scriptures. And perhaps they had even had their own pageants and dramas. But they're still struggling. They're tired. Read Hebrews and you will see there are those who are leaving the faith, leaving the church. They still suffer at the hands of oppressors, still live as outsiders, strangers, aliens, still live as those whose lives had not derived the benefit they had hoped when they said yes to Jesus. And we may wonder, are we really that far from them? Are our lives all that different from when we welcomed Jesus just a few days ago? The Hebrews ask, what difference has Jesus made in our lives? 
Is it too irreverent for us to ask on this side of Christmas just how much of our lives changed? Well, for these Hebrews who offer unfavorable answers to these questions, they have found that there are options of worshiping something other than Jesus. Read the scripture again and you will see those who have taken to worshiping angels. Angels don't suffer and die and bleed. Perhaps this worshiping an angel, some idol, will affect some positive change in their lives. Perhaps their lives will look differently than they do now. And really, the Hebrews aren't asking too much, are they? They are simply asking that they know that they are not alone in their faith. They are asking for some assurance that there is someone who walks with them and understands their struggles and understands their burdens and understands their trials. They are asking for the companionship of some advocate, someone who is there for them, someone who understands. And that's not too much to ask, is it? You may remember from television commercials of, of a few years ago, a particular commercial that caught my attention. It was a commercial for Kleenex tissues. And the settings for these commercials was this. In the midst of some urban setting, perhaps downtown or uptown or busy crossroads, there's a gentleman who, who sits in a chair and opposite him is a couch. And on the couch, occasionally will sit some man or some woman, depending upon the commercial, a man or woman who has simply taken the occasion to sit on the couch and talk with this man and to share about their life. The gentleman who sits in the chair and looks like he has some wonderful counseling skills, and he kindly listens, listens to the man or woman and doesn't say a word. And those who sit on the couch will speak to him and dab their eyes with a Kleenex as they speak. And the commercials even promoted a website, letitout.com. Well, I loved these commercials for a couple of reasons. One, I loved them because of this image of taking this ministry of conversation, of, of listening, beyond the walls of the church and literally to the streets. I even joked, maybe not, with Paula about setting up a couch and a chair outside so as to welcome and invite and listen. Keep your eyes open. You might see it one day. So that, there's that reason I love these commercials. Another reason? Because by setting before us this image of a gentleman who simply sits and listens to these persons who may walk by, I am reminded of how rare a gift it is for someone to simply do nothing other than listen. I remember those commercials and see something of the gospel in them. I see something of the letter to the Hebrews in these commercials. Because what I see in these commercials is the assurance 
that there is at least one who sits with us, one who listens, one who has time for us, one who says to us, you matter to me. This message conveyed in these commercials is the message of Hebrews. There is one who dwells with you. In fact, there is one who is made like you in every respect. There is one who has all the time in the world for you. There was at Union Seminary in Richmond a few years ago a professor of pastoral care named William Oglesby. Oglesby was a pioneer in the field of pastoral care, one of the first who actually served on seminary faculty in this capacity in the field of pastoral care. So when Oglesby set up his office, he pretty much set his office up from scratch, inheriting no furnishings. He made do with an old desk, an office chair. He brought in an old lamp or two that wasn't being used at home. He also sent in his office a few other items to personalize the place. Well, as for a place where students and others could sit when they came to talk with him, well, the best that Oglesby could do was an old chair he had had at home. He had forgotten the chair's origins. He knew it had seen better days, but, but believed it would serve the purpose of welcome visitors to his office. And the chair did this for many years, and when Oglesby moved to a nicer, more spacious office, he still took this chair with him, could not bring himself to part with it, even though the chair embarrassed his wife, and she would comment on it from time to time, he, he could not part with the chair. The chair had something of a, a bed ruffle around the bottom of it, and the ruffle would come loose and need to be re-secured re time and again. The material on the chair's cushions became worn and frayed, but, you know, a little patching here, a little patching there would give it new life, and a protruding nail or tack, well, we don't worry about that, we'll just bend it or we'll tape over it to protect whoever sits there. Yes, this chair invited friendly ridicule from other faculty, but Oglesby could not part with it. In fact, there were these times when Oglesby would be in his office by himself. The day would be quiet. And he would get up from behind his desk and he would go sit in that chair. He would do this, he said, because he knew no one wanted to sit in that chair. Not because the chair was unsightly or worn. Instead, it was because to sit in this chair indicated some circumstance of need or helplessness or vulnerability for the one who would sit in that chair. You see, from that chair, one would speak of problems at school or at home. And from that chair, someone would speak of concerns or doubts about his or her call to ministry. And from that chair, students would weep as they feared letting their loved ones down.
No one wanted to sit in that chair, said Oglesby. So he found it necessary at times to go sit where no one else wanted to sit and to run his thumbnail down the groove that anxious students over the years had worn in the arm of that chair. For the sake of his ministry, he needed to put himself in their place. For our sake, Jesus puts himself in our place. He knows how it is to sit where we sit. There's not an experience in our lives he does not know. Our sorrows, our joys, our tears, our laughter, our hopes, our fears, our victories, our defeats, are all known by Jesus, made like us, in every respect. Well, the Jesus of Bethlehem's manger leaves the manger. In fact, he leaves Bethlehem. And he does so in order that he may walk with us, and dwell with us, and listen to us, and sit with us. Amen. Invite us to stand as we sing.
remain standing as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed number 882. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And as we stand, we welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
I invite us to go to God in prayer, to share in the prayers of the people. We know this is a responsive time of prayer, a time in which I will name a series of petitions and conclude each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and I invite from you the response, hear our prayer, and invite you to name those concerns upon your hearts as well. And then we pray as Christ has taught us, we go to God as we pray. Lord, we are blessed by the faithful witnesses who have gone before us. Those who assure us still that you are with us, made like us in every respect, with us now and always, never to leave us. We thank you for your presence beyond Christmas Day. We thank you for the assurance that you go with us now and into a new year, and that it is your promise be with us always through all things, even until the end of the age. Lord, we have sung the hymns, we have heard the scripture before, but may these words, may these gifts of music, may this holy scripture take root within us, may it shape our lives as never before. May we find ourselves with a greater desire for you and with greater obedience of you. Lord, we thank you that you visit us now, you speak with us now, and you assure us that in all things you are with us, Emmanuel. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Joe Gardner. Lord, in your mercy, hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. For the new warming shelter. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Here's Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Denise Bates, the ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, hear our prayers gathered with those of your saints who worship you without ceasing and to pray with us as Christ has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We stand as we sing. We go now as those who are assured Christ goes with us, understanding us, listening to us, dwelling with us now and always. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 